uh, we, we got to get the background music. I feel like this is a good, good time for um, uh, that. Uh, All right, I'm good. I'm gonna do it. Ready? Something like Anchorman, like like do 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 like. Right. He's classy. Beep boop beep 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 That's it. And with that beautiful musical intro, I would like to welcome you to the first episode of Blunderbox hosted by the Jake and Ethan Made a Podcast podcast as part of the Jake and Ethan Made a Podcast podcast universe of podcasts. So what's the idea of Blunderbox? I think all of us who consume a lot of podcasts and interviews go in and listen to these amazing people doing these amazing things. And at least me personally, sometimes I listen and I go, hmm, am I capable of that? And sometimes I, I finish listening to these things and I feel bang average. Um, and so the idea behind Blunderbox is to build our collective confidence and take the opposite side of the spectrum. Let's look at the worst mistakes in history, right? So that we can all leave these podcasts feeling a little bit better about ourselves and give ourselves the confidence to approach the world in such a way that we may become one of these amazing people on these fantastic podcasts doing amazing things for the world. So with that, I hope you enjoy Blunderbox this week. And let's get into it. So for the first podcast, I wanted to bring the story of Mizuho Financial Group. So starting with who are they? Um, a little bit of context. The story I'm going to tell you is from 2005, um, but they're still in business today. It's a Japanese banking holding company. Um, very sleek website. It's blue and red. It's got that nice continuous scrolling. It's very sleek. I recommend you check it out. They have uh, 1.8 trillion in assets under management, according to Wikipedia, um, and around 60,000 employees at the time of recording. Um, Fun fact, Mizuho means bountiful rich harvest of rice in Japanese, so some symbolism there. Uh, for any listeners, of which we have none at the moment, uh, that aren't in the financial world, um, the banking in the finance world is often known for its kind of its cutthroat approach, really work hard, play hard mentality, super intense, and impressive quantitative skills and intelligence sometimes. Sometimes intelligence, oftentimes intelligence, but not I, I came from the industry. I could say sometimes, right. sometimes Mid all the time. Middling intelligence. Um, the story I'm going to tell you is a story of middling intelligence, not one of quantitative class or of intelligence. Um, anyway, it's 2005. What's going on in 2005? YouTube is going online. Lance Armstrong, we still like Lance Armstrong. He just won his seventh straight Tour de France. Um, on the other side of things, North Korea just announced that it had nuclear weapons. Hurricane Katrina ravaged New Orleans and Scooter Libby, advisor to the vice president, was indicted on obstruction of justice charges. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, anyway, it is Thursday, December 8th, 2005. It's in Japan and some of the top financial whizzes in the world are piling in to the Mizuho offices in Japan, ready to make a killing, right? One unnamed trader settles in and his attention, his or her attention turns to JCOM. It's a recruitment company. Now there's going to be some technical terms, but just keep some numbers in mind as I go through this. The trade this trader intended to make was to short sell one share of JCOM at 610,000 yen. 
which is about 5,000 US dollars at the time. So for each share is supposed to be 610,000. Exactly. This is Blunderbox. So you can infer that this is not the trade that they ended up making. Um, and in fact, they did the inverse. This trader in fact sold 610,000 shares of JCOM at one yen. So for a few pennies, but that's fine, right? We've all maybe made a little typo on a trade order or we can just kind of undo the order, right? Like just cancel the order, you're fine. It's a boo-boo. Yeah, it's a boo-boo, cancel the order, you're fine. You'll take a little loss, but you're fine. Nope, offer couldn't be canceled because the software at the Tokyo Stock Exchange trading platform wouldn't let that order be canceled. So at the time of, at the, that when the trade goes live, the order was 42 times that volume of JCOM's outstanding stock. Um, to settle that order, rather than coming up with the shares, Mizuho paid 912,000 yen per share for the people who bought the order. So what does that come out to, right? That sounds expensive. It was, it was expensive. Cost them about $225 million in loss for Mizuho. What's the reference there? For reference, Mizuho Securities, the wing that executed the trade, made it a full year profit of 233 million in the year prior. So essentially, this one trade wiped out a year of profits for the firm. But what about for the giant conglomerate, the holding company, it couldn't have made that much of a dent. Wrong again. It was a quarter of their profits of the prior year. And ultimately, it didn't just stop with Mizuho. The head of the Tokyo Stock Exchange, the president, ended up resigning. So in summary, some dude didn't read his order, made a typo, cost his company 225 million or a year's worth of profits and prompted the head of the Tokyo Stock Exchange to resign out of shame. Personally, I would say that is a very bad day at the office and the perfect tale for the blunderbox. All right, so I have another bank blunder for you. Very good. Jake, have you ever heard of the London Whale? I have not heard of the London Whale. So the London Whale trading incident is the name referred to the second largest bank loss ever on a single trade, um, which occurred in uh, 2012 uh, by JP Morgan. Net-net, mm -hmm. um, the, the fallout of this resulted in like a thousand person investigation, um, a, a billion in regulatory fines, the CEO's pay getting cut in half, and then a $6 billion PNL trading loss to JP Morgan. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so before we get into like the actual blunder, cause I'm so excited to share this one. Um, we we kind of have to lay some like bank foundation um, at a large global investment bank. There are a number of different business units, some council clients, some underwrite loans, other units trade, others do other stuff. Frankly, it's pretty complicated to be honest, but the most important part is that all these different activities generate risk and exposure uh, for the bank. And they actually have separate units, one of those uh, many units that are designed like the checks and balances of our government to hedge that risk. They're kind of sitting out on an island, everyone's doing stuff, they're watching, uh, different levels of risk exposure pop up and they're taking the other side of the, uh, of the 
some exposure and making sure that they've kind of reduced risk. Mm -hmm. um, bank checks and balances aside, this is Blunderbox. Let's talk <laughs> mishaps, mayhem, mistakes. Okay, so London Whale. So the 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 London Whale himself is an actual person. Um, his name is Bruno Ixel, uh, aka the Whale. Um, and he worked on one of those very hedging desks between around 2005 to 2012. Um, at JP Morgan, the hedging desk rolls up to the chief investment officer, which manages a roughly $350 billion book. Um, and so although the stated purpose of this hedging desk was to insulate the bank from risk and ruin, um, you know, sometimes you could take a little directional bet, like, you know, for within reason, if you think the market's going to move that way, because you spent all day looking at, you know, the different tickers and the different market movements, um, you can take some directional bets and uh, generate a little bit of profit. Um, and I think you probably know which direction <laughs> this is going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bruno and the hedging desk were wildly successful when placing these directional bets, especially during the uh, post-financial crisis, uh, especially during the financial crisis area. So like, you know, markets tanking, they were all over it and they caught it on the rebound as well. Um, another report cited that the hedging desk in 2011 brought in $400 million in profit alone. Ixil and his, his, his teammates in that unit were making millions personally. Hmm. Um, and now a note on the term whale. Whale is actually a fairly common term used in finance. Um, and in, in markets, whales often refer to a market participant that is so large that the very act of them buying or the very act of them selling can actually move the market. The bigger the whale, like the bigger the splash. And often if traders see this whale starting to enter orders and moving the markets, they kind of pile on, um, which is uh, kind of builds like this, like reflexive self-fulfilling reality. Some snowballing, financial exactly. snowballing. Yes, Snow that's, that's an excellent uh, way of describing it. And his trades were so big that at times, uh, you know, they moved him, uh, they moved the market, they named him the white whale or Voldemort. Um, and so, uh, just a, a quick bit about, um, like all of these trading activities, oftentimes you don't know who's on the other end of it. You just know it's a big, big, big whale. Mm -hmm. And so according to the Senate report, kind of tying back to the, the, the blunder, um, this incident and, and the, the loss was really set in motion when higher ups at JP Morgan, uh, decided to start uh, shrinking the uh, the uh, hedging desk size. Um, basically, post financial crisis, new regulation comes into place, uh, and banks are saying, you know what? We used to have a certain amount of leverage and a certain amount of broad risk. Even though we have these hedging desks, let's just take everything down. Um, and so, in the process, our our good friend Bruno had this massive, massive trade on. And so when he tried to unwind it, they originally started to, to sustain some early losses. So they, they uh, you know, they put their hand on the hot pot and kind of burn themselves. And like a gambler who doubles down after every loss, um, you know, they doubled down on some of their trade and, and sought tactics to minimize losses. And in the process, 
the size of their uh, trades ballooned from having a position in the single digit billions, which sounds like a lot, but it's it, not huge in the grand scheme right. of things. So 157 billion, which is 100 actually and, a lot of money. 157 billion. And you said to start that the the book of business was around 350. So a third a third of the hedging decks' money is sitting with this one guy's team. Yep, exactly right. Wow. And wow. so this is 20 late 2011 when they started unwinding it and started playing around with all this stuff. Um, and this is where like, you know, the, the, uh, the mess starts to, to occur in early February of 2012, um, at the Harbor investment conference, Boaz Weinstein recommends taking the opposite side of this mysterious whales trade. Um, he cites data in terms of like, uh, market anomalies when, when this one trade happens and, and basically found that this, this trader is probably very, very offsides. And so of course, other hedge funds pile in and the losses mount for JP Morgan. By March 23rd, so probably about like two months later, um, the department head of uh, the, this unit basically says, we need to just completely unwind all of these things, no matter what the risk is. And I'm sure that's when like, you know, uh, you know they were probably bleeding a little bit. That's when, you know, <laughs> They they uh they bled dry and they, you know the stock which was trading above like in like the fifty-ish range somewhere at the time drops to forty-five, um, uh forty-five dollars a share. Uh, uh, in which April, which again is that's ten percent right a ten percent hit, um, and as is is billions in itself not to, not to mention the losses in trading but that in itself is billions of value for the company and the shareholders. yeah and so uh april 6th bloomberg wall street journal catch a whiff of this they publish an article you know some salacious report of the london whale you know stock continues to drop um uh as any good ceo does uh jamie diamond the ceo of jp morgan came on uh television and said this scandal is way overblown it's a tempest in a teapot um, I'm sure he's probably eating his words later. I actually didn't know what a tempest in a teapot was. Uh, I looked it up. It's a first to a storm in a teacup, which I would assume means that it's kind of a not a big deal. That seems like a big deal to me, but I'll I'll let Jamie Dimon in his infinite wisdom choose the right uh metaphor for the I guess that's a simile. But uh uh no, it's a me- I don't know. We'll cut out that part. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I need to use that more often. Yeah, uh, if, if if someone's like, "Hey, you didn't do X, Y, and Z," I'm like, "Tempest in a teapot," and just hang up and let them Google it. <laughs> I like it. I like the strategy. So anyway, um, by May, so the month later. Everybody is fired every, or has retired early, which I mean, in is fired. Yeah, is fired, but uh, um, likely with a fat severance package and, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, the bottom, uh, the stock bottoms at around $30 later that quarter. Um, and uh, I mean, it's like, it's all over the news. It's all anyone in finance is talking about. So from, so from 50 to 30. 50 to 30. So two fifths of their value. Yep. Otherwise known as 40%? 
Not quite a tempest in a teapot. Not quite a tempest in a teapot. Uh, that's got to be t- tens of billions of dollars in JP Morgan's case. Ten, tens of billions. What's crazy is all of this during this whole time uh, occurred during a period of relative market calm in credit markets, which is what they use to, to credit in derivative instruments to actually hedge. Had things been during like a crazier time, let's say like, you know, a COVID March style corona crash, I would imagine that JP Morgan would be insolvent and looking for like a complete, complete bailout or would have gotten bought by its peers. That's crazy. And, and, and how long did it take from like this, this, this kind of like year 2012 from like, oh yeah, everything's fine to like, we are in the hole, we've unwinded and we've lost $6 billion. I think, I think they came basically uh, that like JP Morgan, I think it was in June, uh, Jamie Dimon actually came on TV and was like very contrite and very like, this was a reckless, reckless, naughty thing that we did and we'll never do it again. So in six or seven months. Yep. In seven months, they lost $7 billion. Mm-hmm. So a billion a month, 250 million a week. Fine. Hey, honey, how was your day? <laughs> I lost 250 million again. <laughs> Second time this week. <laughs> Second time this month, I just don't know what's going wrong. Well, so the the crazy the the crazy part of it is when you really dig into the story, um, you know, there's the the like I mean, I'm I'm digging into the archives of of financial history, which is only eight years ago. But um, the initial reports really uh, cite, you know, it was this guy Bruno Ixell, and they're focused on this one event, this one person. But yeah. I mean, none of none of this actually occurs. Like you, you can't move. You can't be the whale and not have people at your own company know that you're doing whale-like activities. And so, with 157 billion dollars worth of money. Exactly. Um, you know, so the Excel came out afterwards and basically penned like up to 150,000 words in this like series of articles. Um, basically explaining his innocence or his kind of, um, at, 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 in the most benign sense, his like compliance with a thing that was well known by the bank, but he was just mm-hmm. the guy pushing or clicking uh, yeah. uh, the button, so to speak, in this. And basically like, like said that, you know, Jamie Dimon's wrong and he's sneaky and he's to blame. And, you know, it's, it's the system, not necessarily him. And he's the scapegoat, the fall guy. I didn't actually go full Michael Lewis and read through this, but (laughs) um, if you want, you can look up Bruno Ixil marionette and you'll see like his whole side of the story. Cause I mean, this guy, like, you know, he's a dude, maybe he did wrong. Maybe he didn't do wrong. Maybe he was just kind of caught up in the wrong place in the wrong time. I find that fully hard to believe, but you know, seeing both sides of the story there. Um, but in, in the process, he lost his life and probably lost his ability to participate in any financial markets. What do you mean lost his life? He didn't die. That, yeah, that's fair. But, <laughs> but he, lost his, he lost his livelihood and he lost his, yeah. And eight, eight years later, uh, a podcast would feature its second episode ever on his 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 misfortune that's when you that's when you know you've made a big mistake is when you're still <laughs> part of the first two episodes of the podcast right it's not like you're out of content and you're like oh i found this guy bruno Ixil. it'll be great for a 300th episode like this is the second thing we did 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if that speaks to lack of creativity or <laughs> um but so, I mean, you know, sadly, uh, like every kind of bank mischief story, this ended with sacrificial lambs, media headlines, contrite CEOs, and regulator fines. And honestly, nobody really went to jail. Um, you know, like there was at one point a thousand person investigation, a billion dollars in regulatory fines. Um, the CEO got his pay cut in half and, you know, net net, uh, including losses and regulatory fines, it was like 7 billion to JP Morgan's PL. And so, I mean, like, it's a blunder to celebrate, but also an opportunity to learn some like proper blunder lessons. Um, blunder lesson number one, I'd say it's hard to be a whale. It's hard, <laughs> it's to, hard to be a whale. You know, whales are, whales are often, you know, looked at as like, oh, they can do whatever they want. But if they get caught off sides, you know, it's hard to hide billions of dollars off sides. Um, so, for, so for any of our listeners moving $157 billion around, we just want you to be careful. Be careful. And <laughs> be careful out there. We understand what you're going through. <laughs> uh, Blunder lesson number two. Uh, doubling down on a bad thing is is a mathematically what proven way to actually make your money back. It's also a highly successful way in uh, ending up in utter ruin. Agreed. Which, honestly, like in in kind of like through you fake guru like sage like trading advice is always like cut your losers, hold on to your winners kind of thing, uh, so to speak. In this kind of like has that that uh that vibe to it um mm -hmm. if you get caught in the hole as as a whale like you gotta get out fast and mm -hmm. if you just get caught in that you're i mean you're gonna go full tilt and i mean this is the, the saddest part of all of it is <laughs> blunder lesson number three history will likely repeat itself again i have no doubt in my mind that for episode 237 we will be reporting a blunder that tops this one um with without a doubt yeah any other blunder lessons maybe if you're maybe if you're in bruno's case if you are if you're getting a lot of pressure from the people you report to to do very bad things maybe just don't do that thing mm -hmm. maybe just don't do that thing and like quit and go work for another firm or open a like a, a food truck Mm -hmm. or buy a farm upstate and maybe not ruin your life. And that's, that's why like when, when, when I think about it, it's kind of like, I, I, I truly, I did read through a couple of his articles and I was like, man, this guy, like, you don't accidentally write 150,000. Right. Words. You're not just like, I like, they made me do it. I was it. bored one like, night. Yeah. It, like he, that guy went in deep to really yeah. kind of explain like the culture and the vibe of all these things i just imagine like like jamie diamond's just holding up bruno's heart uh during the uh during the uh the, yeah the, depositions yeah the, the re regulatory appearance and says feast on this heart this is the guy this is the guy him alone and so, I mean, like, you know, the, like innocence is always shared, but uh, to those who make the most and have the most power, you know, they share just ever so slightly less and it just ends up being a little like 
you know, maybe even notch in the belt of being able to avoid, you know, ruin as a um, banker guy. Banker guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to the inaugural episode of Blunderbox as much as we enjoyed doing the research on some of these catastrophic blunders. Um, keep checking back for more Blunderbox. We're looking forward to bring you some more mistakes in the future. And until then, go forth with confidence. Boop, 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 beep, 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 boop, 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 boop,